0: Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand.
1: From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. A new report from a coalition of service providers for queer communities in the Portland area found that the region lacks supports and resources for LGBTQ plus people experiencing homelessness. The report noted a lack of emergency shelters for this group, despite their being more likely to experience homelessness. In a few minutes, we're going to talk to two people who work at the Queer Affinity Village in southwest Portland, but we start with the author of this new report. Jonathan Frachtzweig is the public policy and grants manager for Cascade AIDS Project. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You wrote in your recent report that data on homelessness among the region's queer population is incomplete and inadequate. What do you mean?
2: Yeah, so we have a couple of ways of knowing how many uh, people are experiencing homelessness in our community and who is experiencing homelessness. Um, The main way is the point in time count when folks literally go out and count on a given night how many people are unsheltered. And the point in time count uh, does collect data on gender identity, but not on sexual orientation. So that's a major gap in what we know about people experiencing houselessness. And then the Homeless Management Information System, or HMIS, is uh, the system houseless service providers in Multnomah County use. And that also only collects data on gender identity. Um, So we really don't know people's um, uh, sexual orientation who are uh, houseless.
1: Well, what does the data that we do have access to, what does it tell us?
2: Yeah, because of the gaps in local data, we have to look to national data to get an idea of what's going on. And that data tells us that um, trans and queer people are significantly more likely than straight folks to experience houselessness. So the Williams Institute at UCLA. looked at this in 2020 and found that almost 17% of what they call sexual minority adults had experienced houselessness at some point in their life. And that's more than twice uh, the rate um, of among the general population. Uh, the Williams Institute has also found that uh, more than 8% of trans people had experienced houselessness um, in just the year before being interviewed. And to compare um, 2.5% of uh Cis sexual minorities and 1.4% of cis straight people have had experienced houselessness in the year before being interviewed. So we're definitely seeing disparities among trans and queer folks when it comes to housing status,
1: those numbers. So that's maybe more than three times higher than other populations um, for for trans people. What are some of the reasons for this, for these much higher percentages of homelessness uh, um, among gay or lesbian people or transgender people?
2: Yeah, I think there are some simple answers. Like we know that um, houselessness rates are, are much, much higher among trans and queer youth because of lack of family acceptance. Literally people being not accepted by their families of origin or their communities and and literally running away from home and not having anywhere to live. But I think there are also more complex structural reasons, and those are the same reasons that we see houselessness disparities among um, people of color, which is that um, minority stress. Um, Our society is not designed for trans and queer people, just as it's not designed for people of color. Um, and uh, our specifically, our social service system is not designed for LGBTQ folks. So they're going to have a harder time accessing um, housing and other social supports that they might need to uh, be successful, have stable housing.
1: Everything you're talking about um, is 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 actually largely based on national data. But the focus of your recent study is is to say, okay, this, this is what we know about queer homelessness. How how is it working out in terms of of services in the Portland area broadly? What did you find?
2: Yeah, we found that there are. Well, I want to acknowledge that there are many LGBTQ culturally specific service providers um, who worked on this report and who are offering um, wonderful services for the community. Um, So there are kind of points along the housing services continuum where there are robust services available. But along that housing services continuum, there are really significant gaps when it comes to services provided um, by and for queer people. Um, one of the most notable gaps you already mentioned is in emergency shelter. So there are no LGBTQ culturally specific emergency shelters in the Portland region. Um, and there Many local emergency shelters are gender binary, so they only accept men or women, which means if you're non-binary, you're out of luck. Uh, if you are a trans man, trans woman, um, there are real risks to you going to a gendered environment like that. There's the risk of discrimination, but there's also the risk of um, not feeling or literally not being safe um, Uh, with other um, clients at the facility. Um, So that was one of the biggest uh, issues that we saw in the local landscape.
1: How is Portland or Multnomah County, how are they doing compared to peer regions in terms of these issues?
2: I would say that given the size of the lgbtq community in portland we we do have the second uh highest rate of lgbtq folks in the portland area after san francisco in the entire country so given that um the size of our community we're we're really not measuring up um other communities have just focused more on um, trans and queer houselessness and invested more in services specifically for this population. So, for example, um, Los Angeles recently funded a transitional shelter for transgender Latinas and San Francisco um, a little while ago committed more than $7 million to an initiative to end trans houselessness by 2027. So I think we have a ways to go Um before bringing the the attention to our community um, that it deserves here.
1: What do you see as the, the most important policy recommendations that came from your report?
2: Well, I already mentioned about emergency shelters, but we make recommendations about other services along the continuum, including um longer-term housing services. And I think to get those up and running, things like housing case management and permanent supportive housing, um, it's going to take um, investment by funders, the Joint Office of Homeless Services and others in LGBTQ culturally specific organizations to kind of build up the infrastructure that Our communities need. Um, I'll also just call out that uh, we recommend in the report that the City of Portland implement uh, the LGBTQ strategic plan that the City's Bureau of Equity and Human Rights uh, recently put forward. It's the first ever LGBTQ strategic plan. Um, And implementing that plan would include um, staffing an LGBTQ policy office within the city that could kind of bring ongoing focus to community needs like this one. So I think that's a concrete way that um, the city at least uh, can move forward.
1: Jonathan, thanks very much. Thank you. Jonathan Frochtzweich is the public policy and grants manager for Cascade AIDS Project and the author of a recent report looking into gaps in homeless services for LGBTQ plus people in the Portland area. We turn now to one of the efforts intended to fill those gaps. The Queer Affinity Village is an outdoor shelter in southwest Portland for LGBTQ plus people experiencing homelessness. Thomasina Fisdale is the program manager for the village. Sarah Kane is a team lead there. They both join me now. It's great to have both of you on the show.
0: It's great Thank to you. be here.
1: Thomasina, first, what was the original idea behind the Queer Affinity Village?
0: Um, All Good Northwest took over the Queer Affinity Village in October of 2021. Previously, it was managed by C3PO, which is a different organization. Um, I I believe that they were initially started as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. um, And then funding just kind of continued to come in. And the shelter um, was established more permanently. Um, the aim was to serve and is currently is to serve the LGBTQ plus
3: uh, homeless population in Portland.
1: Hmm. Sarah, do you mind sharing how you ended up at the village?
3: Yeah, of course. So I'm originally from California. Um, when I, like, When the egg had cracked, as it were, and I actually, like, wanted to start my transition, I decided to leave home because home was not a great place, unfortunately, for me to do those things. Um, And at the recommendation of uh, somebody that I know, they told me about QA in Portland. Um, So with the help of, like, some other folks in uh, in the community, I was able to come down here via bus and do an intake and everything like that.
1: So you came... Directly from from your home in California yes. to the queer affinity village as a as a place that you'd heard would be a, a, a good starting point f- as you transitioned.
3: Yes, um, the main reason why is just because like uh, where I live in California, I'm specifically from Stockton. Um, Stockton, unfortunately, does not have uh, just it just doesn't have like great homeless services to begin with, unfortunately, which is pretty much the same for a lot of cities in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I heard about QA, it wasn't necessarily as um, a shelter when I heard about it. In my mind, it was a, in a sense, kind of a sanctuary. So it was a place where I could go and um, get services that I need, get mental health mental health help that I need, get uh, like physical medical treatment and stuff like that. Um, and also to be amongst other people that were also like me, where I didn't feel like I had to like hide, per hmm. se.
1: So you never then spent time at a, a, a homeless shelter that was not tailored to, to queer people or trans people? You, you didn't have the, the, the experience that Jonathan was just talking about, for example? No, hmm. no. Can you describe the work that you do now? What does it mean to be a team lead?
3: Um, uh, I would say in, like, a more broader term, it is support of my staff who are case managers. Um, in, like, more detail, the job is not only supporting my team and, you know, doing, like, clerical work, time cards, all that kind of good stuff, but also, like, connecting with um, participants who are on our site, making them feel, like, at home, Um, In a way, making sure that they know that they can come and talk to us whenever there is a need that needs to be met.
1: Mm -hmm. Thomasina, I understand that one of your roles is to essentially interview prospective residents, people who might be coming into the village. What are those conversations like?
0: Um, All of our staff are um, involved in that interview process. Um, I manage the wait list. So I am taking in calls. Um, adding people to the wait list and um, kind of collecting some information that we then use with the information collected at the interview to make our decision. Um, But yeah, we just uh, try and get a general sense for what these people are experiencing and if we're going to be able to help them and if they're going to be a good fit. Um, Something that I think makes our village a really good place is the community that we've cultivated there and we do um, take a lot of mindfulness into um, who we're accepting into our community to make sure that they're really there to um, better themselves, to um, seek supportive services and engage in those services and eventually move out into permanent housing.
1: So what are the things that you've learned to, are, are a good sign that someone is going to fit in well there? And and what are red flags for you at this point?
0: Sure. Um I would say some good green flags would be um, just someone who is um, engaged throughout the conversation and forthcoming. We're not um, looking for any specific disqualifying factors such as uh, substance use or mental illness. Those are all things that are pretty common in people who are out on the streets, Um, but just a willingness to be open about those topics and uh, genuine interest in having supportive services rather than just having a place to store their things. Um, So those are definitely some some key things that we're looking for someone who's interested in case management interested in potentially um, help with getting employment and moving out into housing. So as long as the person that we're interviewing is forthcoming about those things and seems to be interested in engaging and following the rules of our shelter where we have a zero tolerance policy for things like violence and hate speech, um, if they're, you know, agreeable to those protocols, then they would be a good fit.
1: What do you see as the biggest gaps right now for unhoused queer people in the Portland area?
0: I think that a large gap that I see is uh, services specifically for older folks who are queer. There's a lot of money and uh, services that are currently available for younger people, younger queer people. You know, there's Smirk that's run through the Homeless Youth Continuum. And the Homeless Youth Continuum does a great job in Portland of providing services to young queer people and unfortunately that's uh same kind of caliber of resource doesn't necessarily exist for older folks we've had a lot of And people when you say
1: older you mean like 60 70 80
0: yeah like uh retirement age and older
1: mm-hmm.
0: um we do have quite a few um older folks at our shelter and something that i've noticed is it's a lot harder to house them in terms of um, getting grants or vouchers that might help with that housing process um that's definitely a huge gap in services
1: hmm. Thomasina, um, there's only one queer affinity village and I'm wondering what you think if you think that there are lessons that the, that other villages or shelters that are not you know culturally specific that, that are not aimed spe- specifically at queer people, if you think there are lessons that they could take from you that would make their offerings better in general?
0: I think a lot of the success of our program does come down to our team, um, our staff that are on site. Um, We have a very close community of staff um, and I've worked in various shelters in Portland and I can definitely say that um, the way our staff interact with our um, participants at our shelter is really special and, um, there's a a very like strong sense of like warmth and welcoming. Um, and i I don't know if that is necessarily like a hard fact that you can translate to like other services or shelters, but I do think it is um, partially responsible for our success as a program and our ability to house so many people and have um, like pretty good success rates for our, our participants, hmm. um having a really strong cohesive team. And I do think that that stems from a lot of our team being representative in terms of demographic similar to our participants. So a lot of people who maybe came through that program or have experienced uh, houselessness as a queer person before.
1: I mean, Sarah, for a sense, that's you, right? I mean, you you were a resident. Yes. Are you still a resident, or have you moved somewhere else as you, as you became an employee?
3: Yeah, so when I had initially started at All Good, it was right at the beginning of, like, when they took uh, stewardship of... Uh, QA and two other sites. Um, at that point, uh, I did start looking for housing. I am housed. I have an apartment, um, which I'm very fortunate and thankful for, of course. Um, and, like, part of the, like, part of the the reason that I was, like, able to do that thing besides um, having work was also just, like, compassion and patience that a lot of the, like, caseworkers, my caseworker had um, for me and with me because um, my, like, knowledge of Portland is uh, admittedly quite small, and I don't—I didn't really know what to look for or where to look or what was required for, like, housing and things like that and documentation. So having people that were willing to sit there with me for, like, three hours and some change— to do research and help me collect all of those things so that it could actually be prepared was, like, the biggest thing. Um, and not only for me, but I have a partner as well who's a villager, and those were, like, the biggest things for us was um, not necessarily just being, like, handed the access by itself, but getting the access and also tips on how to use it.
1: What do you think it would have taken for you to be able to – feel supported uh, and and cared for in stockton I mean it, the story you're telling is on, on some level I mean you, you, you I think the word you said is refuge you came here see, or seeking sanctuary and it seems yeah. like it it worked which is which is wonderful I'm wondering what you think it would have taken for you to not need that sanctuary here to have found what you needed for for a vibrant safe life where you came from?
3: Yeah, so I think the, at least, uh, I can't speak to the whole state, of course, but um, to Stockton specifically, when I was living there, um, I like grew up homeless, for the most part, um, in and out of different shelters in the Bay Area, in Stockton, um, a lot of places in between, and one of the things that... Um, really affected like my mom and I when I was younger growing up was that um, it was just like difficult. a um, lot of there's like a lot of barriers to getting like needs that we needed met. Um, and the caseworkers from what I remember from forever ago, uh, were not exactly, the best at offering like solutions or options on how to get over those barriers or through those barriers. Um, And in that sense, I do think like the biggest thing is not even necessarily having like a queer specific village in California, but people that are working those sites that are able to both take care of themselves and maintain their own compassion and share that with others.
1: Sarah F. Cain and Thomasina Fisdale, thanks very much.
3: Thanks for having us on. Thank you.
1: Sarah Kane is now team lead at the Queer Affinity Village in southwest Portland, not that far from our studios. Thomasina Fisdale is program manager there. Think Out Loud and OPB's critical reporting from all across the northwest happen only with the support of our members. Do your part now and join in as a sustainer at opb.org pod.